Florida. What a load of crap. <laughs> I'll keep my equipment on the ready. Hello and welcome to Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. I'm Aliza Ora. And I'm Lorena Rose, and we're here to talk about every episode of the 1999 WB series Roswell, one episode at a time and spoiler free. Today we are discussing season two, episode five, The End of the World. So this episode uh, is the fifth episode of season two, and according to IMDb, this is the one in which Max visits Liz from the future to persuade her to break up with him, which could result in the world being saved. It's directed by Bill Norton and written by Jason Kadams, who is, as many of you probably know, the showrunner, the producer of the show. Um, this is the first of two episodes directed by Bill Norton. He also directed one episode of Buffy, which is in season six, called Two to Go. It's towards the end of season six. And six episodes of Angel. Uh, this episode aired on October 30th, 2000, and you can kind of tell because there are some Halloween decorations that you can see in the episode, but it's definitely not a Halloween episode. And unfortunately, we do not have Lisa with us today, but it is because we have a special guest host. Christy is with us today. Thank you so much for having me. So this is one of your favorite episodes of season two. Is that correct? It is indeed. Roswell premiered when I was 13 years old. It is literally the show that saved my life as I was a suicidal teen at the time. I really like the End of the World episode because I'm a big Max and Liz fan and they made me believe in soulmates. And this episode was also great because we get to see lots of the Alex, Maria, and Liz friendship. All right, so let's dive in. We get a pretty shocking intro in the very distant future year of 2014 AD. Like that was like a crazy, unimaginable future for them. So far in the future. And it says minutes before the fall, which is kind of daunting and scary sounding. Yes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now that we're so far past 2014, I was trying to think back on like, what was I doing in 2014? Because in the year 2000, that seemed just, yeah, like you said, so far into the future. I think in 2014, or not I think, I know in 2014, I was touring with the circus, which is like definitely not something I ever imagined for myself (laughs) at age 18 in the year 2000. Yeah, it's like thinking about 2034 right now. You know, that does seem very far in the future. It does. I hope the world is better by then. For me, I had no idea in 2014 I would be living in a different city, New Orleans, which one of your lovely co-hosts is from. Yeah. You live in New Orleans right now? I do. I live in Metairie, which is just outside New Orleans, but I absolutely love it here. Oh, I had no idea. So my second favorite part of this scene is the wigs that they are wearing. (laughs) They switch spots. So Liz has short hair, Max has long hair, and a beautiful half ponytail. Yes. Which I love so much. Which I'm trying to, like, when did, like, man buns and, like, that come back into fashion? Like, that might have been very premonitory. After that. Was it after that? Yeah, it was definitely after that, but probably around, yeah. I feel like around 2014, somehow they knew. 
Yeah, dudes having long hair is going to be a thing. And if I can just take this moment to say, I hate the term man bun. (laughs) You can say that. All because a man has a bun, it's still a bun. Like, men can have long hair, too, and it's just a bun. Yes. So this is the hill I will die on. Just saying. I also love Liz's wig. It's like a, I'm hesitant to say a mom bob, but it feels like a mom bob. That's exactly what I was thinking, though. (laughs) It is a mom bob. Yeah. I think Jason and Sherry pulled it off, though. I didn't really notice Absolutely. it was a wig at all. And I was just like, wow, future Max is hot. Like, okay. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. Future Liz is hot, too, to be honest. I like that yes. mom bob on her. Yes. And the leather. I like the leather. Yeah. I thought they did a good job of showing, like, of making it seem like this is older versions of them and, like, futuristic. Yeah. This um, book that we sometimes quote from in this uh, podcast, The Roswell High Times, The Unofficial Guide, it calls the leather a fashion faux pas, and I have to disagree. The show definitely disagrees, too. (laughs) Especially in season two, I feel like everyone's wearing, like, leather pants. Yeah. They definitely did that a lot. I mean, I just, watching the the preview of season two, I was like, yeah, Isabel wore, like, all leather that entire episode, and I noticed that a lot. And it was very Buffy-esque, I would say. Yes. Yeah, yeah. totally. This is very leather-heavy in the year 2000. And I am here for it. That's not a faux pas. Nobody can say yeah. that Isabel Evans wearing leather pants is a faux pas. Yeah. It is a glorious sight to behold. So... We're in the Granolith in 2014, and they're being, like, very dramatic, like, but I won't ever see you again. And Max, in true Max fashion, is sickeningly romantic and says, thank you for every kiss, every smile, because that's Max. And in, in dreamer hearts just swoon everywhere. Yes. I'm not even a dreamer, and it makes me swoon a little bit. I'm like, oh, it's so sweet. He's like, I have no regrets. Like... Oh. oh, I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm a candy all the way, but I even that like makes me swoon a little bit. I feel like I'm half and half, honestly, because like I'm a dreamer from childhood. You know, it was like I do love Max and Liz. Um, and then now my favorite part of the scene: Max takes this phallic crystal, also known as a crystal dildo. Sh- shout out to Buffering the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> yeah. Um, like why is it so phallic? I don't know. He puts it in the granolith and it turns red and the granolith becomes like a time machine. And suddenly he's sucked into it. And I'm wondering why wasn't she? Because she was also in the room. I don't know. Unanswered questions. Yeah. I don't think anybody (laughs) has an answer. Oh, and then he disappears. And this is like the first of many times in this episode where I want to give an Emmy to Sherry Appleby. Like, where is her Mm. Emmy nomination? Because when she calls out Max and just, like, sinks to the floor, my heart just breaks for Liz. Like, the emotion in her voice is just so heartbreaking. Yeah, She's so good. Sherry's Sherry's so amazing in this episode. I mean, both Jason and Sherry in this episode are good because there's so many future Max and present Liz scenes. Mm -hmm. that were amazing to watch. So I 100% agree. Yeah. And I love episodes in seasons where we really get to see a different side of a character. Like, so that's one of the things I liked about Summer of 47, too, is everybody's getting to play these other characters that are 
not there. So as actors, like that's fun for them. But then in this case, we get to see Jason Bear just playing like two different ages and versions of Max, which is really cool to get Mm. to see him interact with Liz in both of those different ways throughout the episode. Yeah, it must have been kind of an interesting challenge for Jason Bear because it's the same character, you know, like he's he has to still embody Max, but in different points of his life. So yeah, that's really interesting. I have a little inside info because I've gotten a chance Ooh. to talk to Jason on Instagram. Ooh. And I believe uh, we briefly talked about this episode and he said it might be one of his favorites besides the pilot. Awesome. I could see that for him as an actor. This is definitely in my top five. I love Can we just go back, like, rewind just, like, a second? Of course. Because in the opening scene, we have the hands touching through the granolith, Max and Liz, Mm -hmm. and that whole iconic moment, which they do put in the opening credits later in the season. And I just find it a very iconic moment that we just can't bypass that and not say anything about it. It was just, it's so amazing for Max and Liz fans everywhere. Yes. Okay, so next we are in Maria's car. We are going to Hondo, New Mexico to uh, visit Madame Vivian. And I looked up Hondo. It is about 50 minutes east. No, sorry, 50 minutes west. I can read a map. It's about 50 minutes <laughs> west of Roswell. Um, so this, for once, is like a legitimate place. Maybe they would just go for an evening. Like, it's less than yeah. an hour away. Like, they could, they could drive... 45, 50 minutes to go visit Madame Vivian. For a credible fortune teller, it's reasonable. Yes. And the fact that, like, she can read tea leaves and tarot, I feel like she is a very yeah. experienced psychic. She has many mm-hmm. skills. She's credentialed. Um, So, many people may have noticed this fortune teller is played by Winnie Holtzman, who is best known as being the creator of another iconic teen show of the 90s, My So-Called Life. Whoop, whoop! So I know uh, Lisa was very excited to see her in this episode. Yes. She was also co-writer of the stage musical, a little show maybe as some people have heard of called Wicked. She's actually um, writing the screenplay for a future feature film of Wicked. Ooh, that's fun. I saw on IMDb. She's also been in a lot of things, you know, playing minor roles um, as an actor. Mm -hmm. So Winnie Holtzman, pretty awesome. Um, so she meets with one of them one by one, right? With Alex, she says, there will be no carnal relationship with Isabel, to which I say, ew, why couldn't you just say romantic? <laughs> that would have been a better Right? For a teenager? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think we can argue that they do have some romantic feelings. They just never consummate i guess yeah so just say no physical relationship i mean they could just, just the word, yeah just you're never gonna carnal. have a physical relationship you're never gonna have sex like i mean can you say the s word on like yeah. teen television oh you know what maria does like a minute after this when maria has a turn with madame vivian madame vivian is like oh this man is very volatile and Maria's like, it's good for sex, right? You're right, yes. But it's like, since when are they having sex? <laughs> Whenever they want. I mean, we'd be, I mean, I I hadn't had sex yet at that age, but I'd be lying if I said nobody in my school was having sex at that age. Like, Right, like it's a little naive to think they were just making out. No, totally. I'm just like mad that uh, they're 
them starting to have sex wasn't like storyline on the show. It's a big step. <laughs> Could have been. I'm sure Lisa's glad it wasn't, though. Oh, but Alex and Maria are both so disappointed by what Madame Vivian has to say to them about their futures. Mm-hmm. And then Liz gets nothing but glorious news, or so she thinks. Max is going to choose her. He's going to choose love, and they're going to be happy together. Madame Vivian just fails to mention that it's going to cause the end of the world. Like, is she really a good fortune teller? Did she not see the end of the world part? I don't know. So then cut to Liz in her room holding, like, curtains over her head or a tablecloth or something. Yeah. You know, imagining her wedding to Max. My note on this is... Do any girls, like, physically play dress-up like that with, like, a lace curtain beyond the age of six? Right. Like, it's fine to imagine your wedding, but what teenage girl goes and gets, like, the lace curtains out of the the sitting room and, like, puts them over her head like a veil? I don't know. No, seriously, it's it's a lot. I personally did not, but (laughs) I could see it for Liz at this point because she's so in love with Max and that was like they really drove home the Max and Liz are soulmates on Roswell so I could see it happening yeah yeah it wasn't too out of the realm of possibility and I guess we need like a physical representation of like the way she's feeling in her head so Mm -hmm. since it's TV you know we can't see into people's brains we can only see what's happening on the outside and then on a bolt of lightning future Max arrives which I'm currently watching Teen Wolf, and it reminds me of certain big bad in Teen Wolf who oh. travels on the lightning. But anyway. Oh, and then we have our theme song. Yes. Never gets old. No, it really doesn't. Watching a million times. So after the credits, we are still in Liz's room, and we are finding out from future Max, uh, as Liz is freaking out, that the granolith can be used as a time machine. And Liz is convinced that this must be a shapeshifter pretending to be future Max because he has gray hairs, <laughs> which I love. And she's on the bed, too. Like, yeah. she's trying to get away from him or, like, she's somehow afraid that he even is here and exists. Yeah, I love funny. it. It's such a funny scene. And then she's like, you with your gray hair. And he's like, what? I have gray hair? Take it from someone with a lot of gray hair. There's nothing wrong with it. No. It's called wisdom, okay? Gray hair is called wisdom. That's what my friend calls it. Amen. I just wish I had gray hair, um, and I don't. Just real quick, did y'all think about the fact that she might have some PTSD left over from Nisado Max? Oh, yeah. Oh. I didn't think of that at all. That is a good point. That's a really good point, Ashley. Because that's why I thought she was freaking out. Like, the second that she said the word shapeshifter, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Right. I didn't even think of that. Good call, Ashley. Because that's a really good point. You know, like, obviously, she has met another version of Max before, and it was not good. So, makes sense. Not a good experience with that one. She also says there's no such thing as time travel, but, like... There's also no such thing as changing the molecular structure of stuff or telekinesis yeah. either. So I don't know why time travel is so hard to believe in this world. What about world. quantum leap? Hello, time travel definitely exists. Yeah. So then the way that he proves to her that he is a future Max because he knows the future is that he says, I'm about to show up with a mariachi band, which sounds 
unbelievable. Yes. And I was wondering if this was really Jason Bear singing when he shows up at the mariachi band. And I, yeah, I did a little Googling and I was like, it looks like it yeah. really is him singing. He has a very nice voice. It's lovely. Let me just say, like, the best part of him singing is that, ay, 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 Yes, hands down. <laughs> and he's like kind of laughing during it. But the thing that freaked me out was his smile. Because like, that's Jason Bear's smile. That is not Max Evans' smile. You know, it's yeah. like we're used to Max being like so serious. And like his, ay, 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 ay. He had this like huge, ridiculous smile on his face. It was freaking me out. Yes, this like fun glow about him. Probably because they were hilariously laughing behind the scenes. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> absolutely yes. no you can like hear him <laughs> laughing in like his recording of it because he probably just felt so silly and so the song obviously is a love song and it's kind of, he's saying like it's been three days since i last heard from you i can't handle it no more blah 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 is what the song is basically saying Aww. he must have been really desperate to get liz back by singing outside with the yeah. mariachi band and yeah. flowers and, and the flowers changed I know, mid-throw. He knew, like, future Max is telling her. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. What I want to know is how does he have money to hire a mariachi band? This is my unanswered question. Because he doesn't work at the UFO Center anymore. He's been fired by Brody, who we haven't seen lately. Um, I'm excited for more of Brody this season. Maybe he got severance from the UFO Center. Yeah. <laughs> yes, severance package. And he just blew it all on a mariachi band. <laughs> Extra summer shifts. Yeah, maybe he saved yeah. up from his time at the UFO Center. <laughs> Milton is a wonderful man and probably gave him a good salary. And then we head to the crashdown with Mikey G. I personally am a fan of this <laughs> nickname for Michael. <laughs> I love the nickname, but I hated Courtney so much. Oh my god, she sucks. She's the source of conflict with Michael and Maria, and I get that, but oh my gosh. She also, like, is, she obviously comes on way too strong, and she spanked him in front of Maria, which, like, did he want to be spanked? Like, spanking needs to be consensual. And she calls him a good boy. Like, sexual harassment. Hello. Yeah, she just comes on so strong. And in front of Maria, she has like absolutely no qualms that he is like maybe sort of he's obviously in some sort of complicated situation with Maria, whether or not they're actively dating. It's clear that they have a romantic history that is not finished yet. That book is not closed. And she just is really trying to poke the bear. The bear being Maria. Yeah. I do love, though, that, like, I will give Michael some credit in this scene, though, because I feel like he... So Maria's like, well, obviously she wants to get in your pants. Like, she's flirting with you. Like, she's worried that Courtney is flirting with him. And Michael is, like, his first assumption is not, like oh, she's flirting with me, she must be into me. Like, his assumption is she's flirting with me, she's spending too much time around me, she must be an alien or with the government. Like, he's not buying into her flirtation either, or not even reading it that way. He's like, why would she be into me? Like, she obviously must be with the government or an alien. I know, I love that. It's, It's one of those two. It couldn't be that she just is into you and wants to get into your pants, as Maria calls her a slut, which I don't like, but... yeah. The key line is the slut wants in your pants and he goes, that might work. And she's like, what might work, Michael? I know. And then the scene changes right (laughs) there. 
But that is a little foreshadowing. Him saying that might work. Yeah. Like he's going to use that crush to get information on her, which, as we know, he later does. I just wish he had answered her question and explained what his plan was. Yeah. So that she could be in on the plan rather than them both having conflicting plans and more misunderstandings, even though I know that's TV. TV's not interesting when everybody's just happy and lovey-dovey. We have to have conflict, but... I just wish there were one show, though, where, like, the main couple stays together. Because, like, that never happens on TV shows. (laughs) There's always, like, some shit happening with the couples. And sometimes I just want them to be happy. I know! (laughs) I think that's why I like Hallmark movies so much is because there's never that much misunderstanding. It's always 17 minutes before the end. And then like by the end, it's happily ever after. And then you just can imagine that they're happily ever after forever. There's no future arguments or problems or issues. It just ends happy. Yes. For the rest of their lives. Of course, we all know that's not realistic. No. Unfortunately. I don't care. No, it's not. <laughs> but but like I want some happy endings, damn it. I don't need my my media to be realistic. Yeah. Like myself, I'm happy with it being unrealistic. So in Liz's room, she is asking, "Why don't you just go to Max directly?" To which I say, "Do you know nothing about time travel, Liz?" Jeez. Have you read science fiction? Like number one rule of time travel, you cannot have two versions of the same person meet the world will explode or something crazy or something yeah i feel like that's like science fiction 101 yes. i think it's in this scene that future max mentioned uh serena which is going to be a friend of liz's one day which mm-hmm. i always thought really interesting and then it was like never really touched on yeah yeah like i want to know more about serena who's this another scientist like Who's she? How's she going to be in their lives? I hope that they like had plans for this if the show was going to go beyond three seasons, that they like that this was a character they would introduce. Yeah, that they could circle back to. Right, because otherwise, what's the point of mentioning a name? Um, And Max explains to Liz like how them being together is bad for the fate of the world, because them being together pushed uh, Tess away because... Shortly after this time he's talking to her, something happens that gets them closer to each other and it pushes Tess away. But um, all four of them need to be together because they're not as strong without all four. I Max says something about like he needs Liz's help to fall out of love with her. And I'm like, oh, I don't like it. I know. Heartbreak. Yeah. And I think it's later that she's like, why don't you get Tess to do this? And he's like, no, it has to be you. Right. Because I don't trust her. Yeah, he said, it's you I trust Mm -hmm. with. Which, like, isn't making it any easier for her. Soulmates. They're just soulmates. And then we head to Courtney's place where Michael suddenly has a motorcycle. I mean, I'm not mad about it. Like, it's pretty hot. But his job at the crashdown as a line cook is, like, paying him some great money if he's paying rent on his emancipated minor apartment. And he has a motorcycle all while he's still, assumably, attending school full-time. Or at least sort of full-time. We know he's already failing one of his classes. That is impressive. Maybe rent is just real cheap in Roswell. I was actually trying to do some research on this a little while ago. And I was like, well, how much would rent realistically be in Roswell, New Mexico in this time period? And how can he realistically, like, actually make ends meet? And I'm like, Max's dad must have been, like, giving him money or something. Mm. There's just no realistic way yeah. this could happen. And so if he's going to get a motorcycle, 
maybe he got it from a junkyard and he fixed it up. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. He, like, built it from scrap parts. But, like, I want to see a sweaty, greasy Michael fixing up a motorcycle. Like, why? if that's what happened, like, why didn't we get to see that? Because I want to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Yeah, I also think, like, maybe, you know, maybe there's some, like, assistance program for foster kids who have emancipated themselves from it or, you know, something like that. I mean, I don't have high hopes for our government that, like, they had some sort of great uh, financial help for emancipated minors and foster kids, but we can dream. Yeah, I like to You can to at least dream. apply for food stamps, right? I mean, I'd apply yeah. for food stamps. Yeah, so maybe Max's dad, like, helped him with all of the, at least all of the ways that he could be getting assistance, even if those ways are minimal. Mm-hmm. And this is where we have our Halloween decorations. Outside of Courtney's house. Yay! Happy Halloween. It is October 30th. Also, isn't it a school night? Because this is uh, assumably the same night that this is still assumably the first night where the serenading with the song happens and Liz's dad, Mr. Parker, gets mad that he's out at 11 o'clock on a school night making noise outside mm. of their apartment. And now it's later than that. And so Michael and Maria were both working late on a school night. That doesn't seem responsible, Mr. Parker. Making your high school student employees close down the restaurant on a school night? Tisk tisk. Bad parenting. Bad adulting. Remember, we do not love the adults of Roswell, New Mexico. They are not good parents, except for Mr. Valenti. Yeah, oh, we love him. Jim. I guess I don't have to call him Mr. I should be calling him Sheriff yeah, Mr. or Jim. excuse me, that's <laughs> Sheriff to you. Who we do not get at all in this episode, by the no, way. No, we also don't go to school at all in this episode. Yeah, and we don't have Isabel in this episode. At all, yeah, yeah. I miss her beautiful Which face. Which is a travesty. The only sighting we have of Isabel this whole episode is when Liz is looking out into the restaurant later on. She's looking out from like the locker room of the crash down and she's seeing Michael assumably talking to Isabel and they're laughing. But you really only see a split second like in profile. Yeah. But it looks like it's probably Catherine Heigl. But that is is. the only Isabel in this episode. That's right. That is a problem for me. I hope we have no more episodes without her. Yeah. Oh, and can I just say in this scene, Courtney, obviously very forward. Michael is so awkward. He is so awkward here. Yes. And I think it stems (laughs) from like the fact that he is really not into her and like doesn't know how to act and, you know, but is still trying to get her to think he's into her. This entire scene, I was just like, no, Michael, what are you doing? You're really pissed off Maria now. This is not a good look, bro. Mm Mm-mm. No. Yeah, and he could have just let her in on the plan and been like, look, I'm not going to do anything with her, but I am going to offer her a ride home and see what I can find out. 100%. Like, it, they were already talking about it. He said, oh, that could work. He should have just said to her, like, this is my plan. She maybe would have even been on board, but at the very least, she would have been less shocked and hurt. Yeah, because I don't like seeing Maria sad either. No. I don't like seeing Liz sad. I don't like seeing Maria sad. I mean, Mahandra and Shiri are great. Yes. At being sad, but I don't like it. And them. I don't like to see Alex sad either. Yeah. Because he is my precious baby angel. <laughs> and then we cut to the Valenti house where Kyle is mad that Tess is painting the room. He says it's his room, but he gave her that room. He like told her that could be her room now. So I feel like he doesn't really have an excuse to get mad at but her. But he's pissed because he says, I told you no bewitched crap in this house. 
That's true. Which I thought was an interesting reference because Bewitched ended in 1972, to which I say, this must have been from Nick at Night. Yes. Yeah. Because I watched Bewitched on Nick at Night in the 90s. Oh, yes. Yeah, I did too. I loved that show. And like, I'm not sure Jason Kadams really thought this through that far, but it must have been from Nick at Night that Kyle knew about this. I feel like this is like an excuse for us to get the fight started and to get some sexual tension flowing between the two mm. of them. Mm. Because this is also the birth of the Lamp Trimmers. Yep. I believe that's their ship name, right? Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. This is where it comes from. The Lamp Trimmers. Mm-hmm. I was a Lamp Trimmer. This scene right here is exactly where I started shipping Kyle and Tess together. And I really could not tolerate Tess at all, except with Kyle, yeah. like, in early season two. I was never much of a lamp trimmer. I like I like other character and I d- dynamics better than thinking about them as a couple. But I did look up this um, this Buddhist uh, this Buddhist quote that he gives uh, that gives us the lamp trimmer's name. Mm-hmm. So the full quote is, "But to satisfy the necessities of life is not evil. To keep the body in good health is a duty, for otherwise we shall not be able to trim the lamp of wisdom and keep our mind strong and clear. So I was also curious about, like, what does it mean to trim a lamp? So I looked it up and Wikipedia Mm -hmm. says, so lamp trimming is mentioned a bunch in the Bible, but then in more Mm -hmm. recent times, lamp trimmer was a specialist position on board ships that involved maintaining oil lamps. In the days when light came from burning oil and lamps, a vessel at sea needed crewmen to constantly care for the lamps. This care involved trimming the wick, which drew the oil up from the storage reservoir so that the flame would be clean and bright. The position of lamp trimmer was so entrenched into marine tradition that electricians were called lamp trimmers for years after oil lamps had been completely replaced. Oh, wow. It also goes on to talk about, like, the way a perfect flame should burn and what it should look like and how to precisely cut a wick. So it really was a specialist position. That's cool. Yeah, that makes sense that... I mean, so I feel like this quote is saying, like, you have to keep... If, you're, if like, your body is the lamp you have to keep the lamp trimmed and in good condition you have to keep your body in good condition to be ready for everything that may come your way Mm -hmm. so i guess in this case kyle is saying that to keep his body in good condition he needs to uh satisfy his sexual urges carnal desires yes (laughs) okay is that is that what buddha meant by that sexual innuendos. I love it. Oh my god, and Tess. She's like, I have a lamp that needs some serious trimming. Like, okay. Yes, that is some major sexual tension. And she calls him Buddha Boy. Always. Which I think is a cute little nickname for... Oh, I think it's adorable. Um, And they are, like, about to kiss. Yeah, they are. When the doorbell rings, because Liz has arrived. Of course she does. <laughs> I felt so bad for Kyle. I was like, oh. Yeah. He just needs some love. Yeah. Kyle just wants love. I know. And that's he all. deserves to be loved. Yes. I love Kyle, but I don't think that's enough for yeah, him. Yeah, I know. Same. Um, I love his <laughs> line, though, that he's like, you sensed I might be experiencing some actual joy? <laughs> um, and then, you know, Liz says she wants to talk to Tess. So Tess says to Kyle, she's like, we can finish trimming my lamp later. To which Kyle says... I'll keep my equipment on the ready. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I loved so it. Good. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. 
And then Liz's argument with Tess of why she needs Tess's help is very convincing and heartbreaking. Again, she Mm. just is like breaking my heart left and right in this episode when she's like, I'm sick of living like this and I can't move on if Max doesn't move on. So and I can't do this alone. And it just just ripping my heart out over and over, Shiri. Yeah. She also says, you know, it wasn't easy Mm -hmm. for me to come here, Tess. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, yes, it must have taken everything in Liz's willpower to just go over there and do what she felt she had to. To, like, tell someone else that she should be with the love of Liz's life. Yeah. Can't be easy. And then, ew, for what comes next. (laughs) Yeah. Because Courtney is giving Michael a massage. She's massaging him while he's, like, interrogating her. (laughs) Not super subtly. Yeah, Courtney and Mikey G again. And I love, though, that he's, like, a clean girl is a sexy girl. He's like, I just need to get her (laughs) out of my way so that I can, like, do what I came here to do, which is, like, search her apartment and figure out what is up. Yeah, just snoop around. Uh, Yeah, let's talk about the uh, cabinet of lotion that she has. So much lotion. Yeah, so much lotion. What could it mean? Yeah. Also, it seemed like she had two different brands. Like the top shelf was one brand of lotion, the bottom shelf was another. Maybe this is probably for, based like, on like whatever sale Costco had. Every day used to like extend the life of her skin, and like when the skin is on its way out, maybe she needs to like step mm. it up to a stronger lotion. Right, like a preventative one, and then one that's like treatment for skin falling yes. off. <laughs> That's just a whole lot of lotion in there, though. Like, that whole cabinet was full. So, so like, much. how many months did that last? I- <laughs> right. Is that, like, a week's worth of lotion for her? Yeah. How much is she using on a daily basis here? Like, these are important questions. Sounds like an expensive habit. Yeah. Or expensive need. And then Maria shows up. Poor, poor Maria. He should have told her about this plan. She had a legitimate cover plan for if Courtney was home. She has this hair clip of Courtney's from work that she probably took out of Courtney's locker. But whatever. She's like, you left Mm -hmm. this at work. And like throws it at her. Like she didn't just show up there like empty handed, like just planning to sneak around. She's like, I got a I got a backup plan. I got a story prepared. She is good at the spying today. And Michael continues to lie to her because she asks, like, what are you doing here? He's like, no, it's not what you think, whatever. And she's like, something about laying a hand. You better not lay a hand. And he's like, nobody's laying a hand on anyone. Yeah. And then, you know, which is a lie because Courtney is in like, you're such a good kisser. Courtney walks out in a towel and I think she's like, bastard. And then she hits him over the head. And I'm like, yes, girl. That's it. Yes. I love it. One of my favorite Maria moments. (laughs) sassy maria right there and maria says we're done and leaves and then michael's just like yeah i'm gonna go too yeah because <laughs> he just doesn't really care about Courtney. yeah and then we head back to the crash down with future max and it is like is it still the same night is this all happening in one like very long night is this another night i don't know no it can't it can't be the same it's night. gotta be the next night after school we just didn't see anything in school Yeah, because like if future Max arrives around 11 p.m. one night, like it's definitely this is like the next day. Yeah. To which I say, where did future Max sleep then if he was there overnight? Probably in Liz's room, like on the floor. Yeah, on the floor, like a gentleman. Seems like he's been that's his like hideout place is definitely like her room, her patio. So Tess is sitting there waiting for Max 
in her black shirt that Max likes so much. And Liz and future Max are watching from across the street inside of some business. Are they across the street? I feel like, so this was a point of confusion for me too. I feel like they're like in an office part of the crashdown. Like, does Mr. Parker have, like, an office where maybe, like, the safe is and he counts out the money? But it's, like, a space we've never seen before. But, like, I get the impression that... Because they're not watching from outside the restaurant because there's, like, the little gingham curtains. And you see those from their perspective. It's like they're somewhere in the back side of the restaurant hmm. where there's, like, a little office. But it's not the locker room where we see things. It's not the... They're not, like, peeking over the, like, food counter in the kitchen. It's, like... I'm just so confused about where they are. Same. Same girl. Some random building across the street. That's just kind of what I... Yeah, assumed. I thought it was across the street, but I don't even know. Yeah, and they're somewhere, peeking through some blinds. Like, part of me was like, is that Congresswoman Whitaker's old office that just, like, isn't used anymore, but that's how Liz can get inside of it? But then, like, Max has very good vision, too, if he's seeing something from all the way across the street. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. They have binoculars, right? I mean, at least Liz did, I think. I don't remember. That's okay. Did they? <laughs> Either way, they're, they're somewhere know. peeking through did. some blinds. Somewhere. I like Liz's monotone, rah, rah, <laughs> because she's not actually happy yeah. about what's going on. Nice and sarcastic. And we get the elopement story out of future Max now. Like, I mean, he mm. said he can't tell her anything about what her future would be like, but he somehow keeps telling her about what her future would be like. And yeah. Liz wants to know if they got married and he tells their whole elopement story and how all of their friends came to meet them and they danced the night away at a bar. Which one? How are they all in a bar? They're all, they're 19, 19 or will be when they get married. I have to say Future Max has some of the most sappiest love lines in this whole episode. Uh -huh. He says in this scene, how much my stomach used to rumble every time I saw you. I'm like, oh my gosh! My dreamer heart is just like exploding. Yeah, it's like, I don't know whether to cry or like brush my teeth because it's too sweet. <laughs> you know? <laughs> A little of both, maybe. Yeah. Okay, I have a few thoughts about this. A few notes on this scene. The first is, did you see that old iMac? With the color. I missed it. Yeah. Yeah, one of those old IMAX where it's like kind of see-through, but they all they come in like the different colors. Yeah. That really brought me back. I remember that. Also, he he does like what is I think supposed to be an Elvis impression when he's like, Congratulations, kids. But like it was really bad. It really just sounds like Max's regular voice. <laughs> and then they also talk about the song I I Shall Believe which is a song by Sheryl Crow. Mm -hmm. And I looked up the lyrics and there's one verse of mm -hmm. it that I think is so apropos, so appropriate for this couple. Yes. And I would like to read that right now. Okay. One line that like really jumps out, but I'll read the whole verse. Open the door and show me your face tonight. Which like, kind of like when he showed her his true self and told her where he was really from. Mm -hmm. I know it's true. No one heals me like you. Yeah. And you hold the key. Yeah. Hello, no one heals me like yeah, you. Yeah, I love this song so much at the end of the episode. It's beautiful. Yeah, I have lots of thoughts. Yes. I'm glad they uh, didn't change yes. this song for the DVD release, though. Yeah. Because so many of the songs got changed. And I guess because they do specifically reference it by title, it was important to keep it. But it really is such a perfect yeah. song. I mean, Cheryl Crow didn't like specifically write this for Roswell, right? No, because like, it's no. from like 1992. Yeah. It's like from... Much earlier in the 90s. I think 93. It just happened to fit really well. With yeah. 
Maxim is. Yeah, with like specifically what's going on right now. You know, this kind of like turmoil of, you know, you love this person, but can you be together kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, and she also she asks Max. Oh, she asks future Max basically like what will happen to him. Mm -hmm. You know, she's like, will you go back? And like, I love stuff like this, like alternate timelines and like the implications of time travel. And, you know, when you change the future you know, does that create an alternate timeline? What happens to the people who were in that future? Yeah, I love that concept too in sci-fi. You could like study it for years, obviously theoretically, but you could really, I mean, there's so much to to talk mm-hmm. about when it comes to that. And it really makes me think about uh, this Hulu original show called Future Man with Josh Hutcherson. I haven't seen that one. It's a really great time travel comedy show. Cool. Um, yeah, I love I love the concept of alternate realities and like reality splits and how things change. We're back in the crash down. Tess is no longer waiting for Max. He has arrived. Tess is being like really sweet and understanding and mm-hmm. chill about everything. She's like, if things change, they change. Like, no big deal. Yeah. And then she's like, but if Liz is isn't interested, which oops. Yeah. Whoops. Slip up. This is the point where I was like, Tess, yeah. you screwed up. That's not where you, you were supposed to You could have had him. <laughs> I like Tess at this point in the series still. I still like her a lot. I feel like she's yeah. she's gotten the short end of the stick and she's making the best of it. And yeah. and that's all I can say without spoilers. <laughs> I Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I feel for her up to this point in the show, like... She's been, like, abandoned by the shitty parent that she had. Um, and nobody's really, nobody really likes her. Yeah. Except Kyle. Thank God for <laughs> Sheriff Valenti. But yeah, so they're, they're hanging out. They're starting to chat. They're starting to chat. And then um, that's when Max sees the, une- we don't know where he sees them, those blinds that are somewhere that we, uh, yeah. unknown. But Max uses his supervision and somehow sees some movement from somewhere and assumes that it must be Liz spying on him. Which, to me, looked so clearly like two people. Yeah. But I guess Max didn't notice that. And then, yeah, he chases after. And he knows it was a setup. Yeah. And kisses her. Yes. And, you know. The kiss with the flashes. Ugh, because yeah. they have such an amazing connection. Kills me every time. I'm like, what man? I mean, oh my gosh, like... If you had a man that every time you kissed him, he gave you flashbacks, like, how could you not be weak? And then yeah. yeah. If you could, like, see tr- flying through space when you kiss him, yeah. like... That sounds pretty cool. Yes, please. Where do I get mine? And then we get Shiri and Liz, like, their heartbreaking vocal work again when she's just so desperate and heartbroken. And she's like, please mm-hmm. stop doing this. Like, you have to let me go. She just, oh, ripping my heart out. And he's like, I can't. Yeah. And also, like, this that's a really unhealthy thing. If someone says, like, leave me alone, you need to leave them alone. However, this is television, and it's Max and Liz. Yeah. So. So we let it happen. <laughs> this isn't real life. Yeah. And then we head to Liz's room, and we find out more pieces to the story because future Max just can't keep his mouth shut about what their life is going to be no, like. He can't. <laughs> and he tells her that they're going to have sex like any day. And Liz is like mad about that. Yeah. And I understand her kind of feeling strongly about it, but she's like mad about it. And it's like, he's not 
telling you that you have to have sex with him. He's just telling you, like, what happened. Yeah. You know, he's telling you, like, his memories. But I get her in this side, too, because at this moment in her life, you know, when you lose your virginity, that's often how it happens. All of a sudden, you just decide you are ready or it just kind of happens while you're still trying to figure yeah. it out. But... You know, you can very strongly feel that you're not ready yet, and that can that can change on a dime. Here, here's the thing, though. Liz is kind of contradicting herself at this point, because if you remember sexual healing, she seemed pretty up to yes. having sex at mm. that point. So this kind of contradicts that, like, oh, no way would I be ready to have sex with you. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure this would have went down if, you know, the opportunity presented itself and you guys made up. Yeah, but also at this point, in her journey, she hasn't made up with him yet. She is dis- whether or not future Max is here. She's still been yeah. in a zone of like we can't be together. Like she's still in an in an emotional no go zone with him. Even before future Max showed mm-hmm. up at the beginning of this episode, she's still working through her problems that she feels like he's meant to be with Tess and that she should not be in this picture anymore. You know whether or not she loves him, she you know, is not, I feel like, not emotionally ready for that yet either, whether or not Future Max is here. I love Liz here. There's something so awesome and powerful about a young woman, you know, being so sure and setting these boundaries Mm -hmm. and being like, nope, this is not something I want to do. I'm not ready for it and I won't do it. And, you know, regardless of the fact that in this other timeline, she totally did and was ready. But I love that she's just so sure of herself because, yes, you need consent with any sexual act, but also, like, consent with yourself, Mm -hmm. too. You know, it's like, I feel like it's it's common for people to feel pressured, and she is just like, I won't be pressured, I know what I want, and this is not it, you know? So I love that. We do get one of my favorite lines from Liz in this scene, where she says, you're just like Max the Saint, just yeah. walking around with a condom in his back pocket. Yeah. I always burst out Yeah, because she's like, I'm not ready, I don't even have condoms, and he's like, I did, and she's like, of course. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> but I like that they're also like the first thing her mind jumps to is protection. Yeah. Which like way to go, Liz. Yes. And also like they can't say the word sex, but she can talk about condoms. Yeah. <laughs> but good. I mean, you should be able to talk about condoms if you're talking about making love. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then we head back to the crash down locker room and poor distraught Maria. Maria. Poor Maria. That's all I have to say. Ripping a photo and crying. Yep. And then Alex comes in and is a good friend, per usual, because he's so great. He's the best, so underrated. Yes. I mean, he's not underrated in my book. I think he is in other people, but yeah. Like, I guess I feel like in the eyes of Isabel, like, she took so long to get on the Alex train that I was he was so such a good guy. Like he might be a little geeky. Geeks but, are like, in. So what? No, like get over he's it. He's so he's so great. I mean, I guess geeks weren't in yet in the year two thousand. Yeah, I remember in eighth grade, our teachers telling we had like this, you know, sleep away a couple nights or whatever. So the boys and the girls were separate, and I remember like the the female teachers all talking to us and and trying to get it through to us that like it's the nerd boys that are the ones we should be going for so like this one he's gonna be so good looking when he grows up and we were all just like no no i want the skater boy yeah now they're probably great catches you know yeah um and so alex hugs her like to comfort her and he has this like expression on his face this like kind of blank but angry 
expression on his face that's kind of creepy, but it's like, all right, Alex. Yeah. You go defend your girl. Yeah. He's going to defend her later in the episode. Yes. Which is one of my favorite Alex Same. Moments. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. And then we head to Max's room where we, you know, just for no reason, we have to see how buff and ripped Max is, how buff and ripped Jason Bear is. I mean, we've already been, like, seeing his gun show the whole episode with future Max wearing the, like, <laughs> sleeveless situation, which is, like, yeah. really designed to, like, show off his bod, but, like, we're gonna get more now, whether we wanted it or not. He has a, a lovely body, yeah. <laughs> but it's, like, too fit for me. Same. Like, it just doesn't look real. Yeah, same. It's not realistic. I've seen so many buff guys on other shows, and I'm like, how much time in the gym does that really take? I Yeah, and having personal trainers and all that. What's, well, like, the, the focal point of their lives? Yeah. I like Kyle's body better later in the episode. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, see, like, he's muscular, but he's not, like, ripped. He looks normal. Yeah. This is in this episode we are lucky enough to see two of our main characters shirtless. Yes. And four well, we also see Courtney and Liz shirtless. This is a very shirtless episode. It's true. It's, it's equal true. opportunity shirtless in this episode. So Liz comes to talk to Max, right? And she comes through his window, but is all like, I can I can do it. I don't need your help. I can do it myself. Yeah. And it's like it reminds me of my two and a half year old niece that I live with. When she's like, I do by by myself. Except she says, by self. Yeah. I, I do it by self. You know, all toddlers, how they're like, I can do it yeah. by myself. Uh, my mom tells me that that was like my number one phrase at like age two was, I do it. I do yeah. it. Like, Yeah, it's they all do it. That's also a great throwback to in early season one where she trips, you know, through his window mm-hmm. and he touches her. So yeah. this time she's like, no, I can do it. I got it. Don't do it. Don't leave any opportunity for yeah. close moments because that right. will be a distraction. I am an independent yeah. woman now. I don't need your help. And that's a really good point. It's like a juxtaposition between those two different situations mm-hmm. of her going through his window because they're very different. Yeah. And she tells him he needs to put on a shirt, to which I say thank you. <laughs> it's distracting. But I say no, Max. Don't put a shirt on. It's like, your body. So many other big Max and Jason Bear fans are like, no, don't, don't put a shirt on. Your body, your choice, Max. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she makes this whole speech about Romeo and Juliet, which um is interesting because she was talking to future Max about it. Mm-hmm. So it's a little out of nowhere with Max, but that's fine. Cause she's like, you know, I was reading Romeo and Juliet, blah blah blah, like you know, basically being like. I don't want to, like, put myself in danger just to, like, be with someone. I want to date normal boys. I want to see my 21st birthday. I want to have kids. Like, like, these are all things that... That's so heartbreaking. Yeah. That she doesn't have with Max. She also makes the point that it's called the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. She's like, this is not a love story. This is a tragedy. And we should not be comparing our love to this tragedy. Also, like, teen love is not the end-all be-all. And she says, I may love you, but I don't want to die for you. Which is, like, Ugh, yeah. so heartbreaking. And because we all know in a later scene, she's like, well, you know how hard that was for me to say? And, yeah. I mean, he saved her life. So for her to say that was, like, so gut-wrenching. Because she would die mm-hmm. for him. Like, she absolutely yeah. would die for him. Which, again, not a healthy dynamic in a relationship. But no. 
But also at age 17 isn't, or 16, isn't everything life or death? Like Everything. Yeah. Like, I know I felt that way at that age. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I did too. And I would honestly say, like, I haven't felt love as strong in my adult life that I did in high school. Yeah. It's all consuming when you're that age. That's just the way it is when you're young. And I, Yeah. yeah. And I don't think that that is what we need or want or should expect in adult life like i don't think all consuming love is actually healthy no not like that so our lovely friendship between max and maria that was developed over the summer Mm -hmm. um we see again in the crash down which i just love that they are friends it's really sweet you know maria's kind of like trying to be there for him after this difficult conversation he had with liz and she's kind of telling him to let let her go to kind of move on. Yeah, she's, I mean, she's telling it like it is. I mean, and I do think she's projecting a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Because she's trying to let go of Michael. None of us belong with any of you. Right. <laughs> so she's definitely projecting, but she's not wrong. Yeah. And then we head back out to Liz's patio where Liz is crying again. Such a sad episode for Liz. It's so sad. And future Max is starting to disappear. So he thinks their plan has worked. And we're seeing this in opposition mm-hmm. To Maria saying to Max, like, none of us belong with any of you. You have to leave her alone. You have to give her up. And then we start seeing future Max disappear. And we think that it's working Mm -hmm. for a second. (laughs) Yeah, for a second. Um, He also tells Liz about, like, kind of to explain how dire it is that, like, 25 minutes before he came back, he held dead Michael in his arms. And two weeks before that, Isabel died. So that she really understands, like, the scope of yeah, this. Yeah, if we stay together, everyone else we care about is going to be gone. And is yeah. that worth it? Which is why we go quickly to the crash down. And she's looking at, like you said, the one time we see Isabel um, is when Liz is looking through from the back room and sees Michael and Isabel sitting mm-hmm. at the counter talking. Yeah. But yeah, it didn't work. Max, current Max, puts his foot down and he does not want to give up Liz. He's not ready to give up Liz. And uh, so future Max uh, comes back into existence here. And uh, and Liz yep. is like, please think of something else. Please go to somebody else. I can't do this. And I think that's when he tells her about the deaths. Mm-hmm. I probably was a little early with that. That's okay. It's all, it's the same scene cutting back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, Sherry's delivery of of some lines in there were really good Mm -hmm. in that scene, because I just love that she says, he's the only reason I'm alive right now. It was so hard for me to tell him that I wasn't going to die for him, because Mm -hmm. it completely contradicts what she would actually Mm -hmm. do. (sighs) Yeah, this is just such a rough episode. I mean, like, rough on our emotions. (laughs) Not rough that it's a bad episode. Rough on our emotions right, as no, viewers. It's a great episode, just hard to watch. And then, yeah, we head to the crash down and where Liz sees Izzy and Michael. And to which I say again, this is the only time we see Isabel in this whole episode. I'm not here for it. Not enough. It's not enough. Um, but I do like here what a good friend Liz is being to Maria. There was some times in season Mm -hmm. one where Liz is very kind of self-centered on her own love story with 
Max, and she is not really aware of what her supposed best friend is going through and the pain that Maria is going through and the journey that Maria's on. And in this scene, she is acknowledging Maria's pain over Michael and Courtney. Like, she's heard that it happened, and she is being a great friend to Maria here, like, checking in on her friend and being... Being a mutual friend instead of it being one-sided, which it sometimes feels like in this show. Yeah. And you can almost see a light bulb go off Mm -hmm. in her head. Yep. Above her head, whatever. When Maria's talking about how there's nothing that Michael could do to make up for it. That, you know, seeing him with Courtney, she she doesn't want to be with him ever again because of that. Um, so Liz is like, oh. And this light bulb went off in my head for the first time on the most recent watch of this episode. I don't know how I never, ever made that connection before in my other times of watching it. But literally when I was watching it right before we recorded to do one more rewatch and like go through my notes, I was like, oh, Oh, this is where she gets this idea. It's always felt so out of the blue to me that she decided to call up Kyle and stage this fake sex scene with him. I don't know. This light bulb never went off in my head until today. That's so funny. I don't know where my brain was. It just always felt so out of the blue. And then I was like, oh, oh, that's hilarious. See, I thought it was like so obvious. (laughs) Literally in my notes, I have how dumb am I? Um, So she realizes what she needs to do. She goes and enlists Kyle's help. So, and then at Liz's, she's like getting undressed in her bathroom. He's getting undressed in her room. And they're just having this like awkward catch up conversation. Mm -hmm. Where he's like, oh yeah, I found Buddha. And future Max is like, what a load of crap. I just think it's a funny conversation. I love that line. Uh, Yeah, I kind of feel like they're doing Kyle dirty because it's like, Buddhism is the only thing his character has going for him right yeah. now. It's like every scene he's in, Buddhism is brought yeah, up. Yeah, they're like really laying into it thick. But yeah, I love this next moment, though, where she comes out in the towel and he's like, this brings back memories. And Liz is like, uh, excuse me, like thinking it's something sexual. And he's like, last summer when we went swimming at the Y pool, like It's just so innocent and sweet. I love him so much. He's just so pure. Yeah, I like this. I like this version. Even if he's like a little one-sided with his Buddhism, I like this version of him better than like jealous Kyle from season one. Oh, totally. I love it. And he's like, I meditated on this and I'm at peace with it. (laughs) He also says, shall we, shall we hop in? (laughs) Which I love. And, you know, she double checks that he understands that like nothing's happening Mm -hmm. and blah 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 and he's like yes my body is merely a vessel i love it (laughs) he's just we don't deserve him yeah i i definitely appreciate kyle now more than i did watching this Mm -hmm. as a teenager because i only saw him as like an obstacle in max and liz's way and to re-watch the series as an adult i'm like Yes, I love Kyle. And then I met Nick Wessler through a virtual fame convention. So now I just love Kyle even more. I just like appreciate the Kyle moments even more. Yeah, once you have a personal connection with an actor, like I feel like that makes you love their characters so much more too. So we head to Michael's apartment where he's chilling watching TV. And then we get a very mad and cute, adorable, angry, good friend Alex. (laughs) I love this scene. He just barges in. Starts, like, attacking Michael, being like, she's not just some girl. She's Maria. 
She's special. I love this. It's so good. And I mean, I don't normally condone the boys punching each other. Of course not. Because there's been a lot of punching between Max and Michael, but I do really like Alex standing up for Maria's honor here. Yeah. This is the one great exception yeah and like right after michael gets punched he's like you're a really good friend i know man. i love that it's like a really <laughs> sweet moment and it's a sweet michael yeah you know like that he can recognize yeah. that and then alex's response is call me that again and i'll really kick yeah. your ass <laughs> which like i think he was just like reeling from just having punched someone that he like couldn't even really hear what michael yeah, was saying that it was a compliment yeah and then Michael and Courtney start making out, and I'm not here for it. Yeah, he's, like, actually kissing her back Uh, this time. No. You know, the other times he wasn't really kissing her back. Like, he's really kissing her back this time. This is a full-on makeout session, which I was, like, really? Right after Alex leaves? Like, really? And Courtney had such great timing. And it's like, oh, okay, let's just start making out. I'm like, why? And I can't. I can't decide if, despite the fact that he's kissing her back, that he's still trying to figure something out. Like, I wish maybe we'd seen some sort of little scene again where he's like, I think she's an alien. Like, I saw all this lotion in her apartment. Maybe I think she's a skin. Like, what's going on? So it wouldn't feel so out of the blue that he was so willing to, to make out with her and have his hands all over her. I mean, he does pretty quickly discover that she is indeed a skin when he rips a big chunk of Elmer's glue off of her back, but... (laughs) That, like, Elmer's glue with makeup on it to look like it's her skin. (laughs) I do want to give Michael the benefit of the doubt here. I, like, I do. I do believe that it was all still, you know, trying to figure it out, Mm -hmm. um, what's going on with her, albeit in unconventional ways. Yeah. And then we head back to Liz and Kyle in Liz's room. And I like that they're kind of reconnecting as friends here and having like just a nice, Mm -hmm. genuine, friendly conversation with each other in bed in the nude or in their undergarments. But they're just like having a nice, friendly chat about both being saved by aliens and visions and Kyle's making Liz laugh and she needs some laughter in her life. And uh, she finds out that Kyle did not have any visions. He didn't see anything when Mm -hmm. Max saved him. So, you know, kind of showing her that this is really a Max and Liz thing. And they really do have a special connection, which makes all of this that much harder. Yeah. So something that I did not realize until my last watch through, I've never noticed it before, that as planned, Max shows up and sees the two of them in bed together. But like right before Max shows Mm -hmm. up. Um, Liz is like, oh, this is, you know, they're catching up. Liz is like, this is the first time we've talked since something, something. Max shows up and Kyle says, feels good to do that again. And Liz says, it does feel good. Oh. And that's when Max shows up. And that's what makes Max think they definitely slept together. Right. But it never clicked for me that that's what he heard them say. Like, feels good to do that again. Which, like, they never did. Yeah. But he doesn't know that, you know. But of course, the precursor to that whole like moment was Kyle saying the joke. I keep having fun yeah. with Max Evanstein. Oh yes. yeah, <laughs> I know he's so great. I love he's like he makes such cute jokes, and I just love him so yeah. much. And now, now we have Sad Max, and Sad Max is out on a park bench in the middle of the night, 
on a dark, lonely night by himself, and Tess walks up. And I wonder if Liz has called Tess and told her to go look for him or something, because otherwise, why is she also just randomly wandering the quiet yeah. streets of Roswell in the middle of the night? I feel like Liz must have called her and told her to go after him. This is your chance. Yeah, like, how would she know that he was going to be in the park? Also, one thing I forgot to mention is that during that scene where Max catches them in bed together, um, it cuts to future Max, and he is, like, so heartbroken so by this. You know, even though this is precisely what he came back to mm-hmm. do... Like, it's clearly not easy for him. No, yeah, it doesn't mean it's not hard. It's breaking his heart, too. He has spent the last 14 years of his life with the love of his life, and he is self-destructing his own future, too. We're now back out on the patio with future Max and Liz, and future Max uh, kind of suggests to Liz that maybe she should get back together with Kyle, or... Or that, yeah, it would be best for you to be with a human guy, which is like exactly what she was telling mm-hmm. current Max earlier. But, you know, we don't believe it. But future Max is realizing how good her life could be without him, too, I think. Which is like a very selfless mm-hmm. thing, because clearly it's breaking his heart. Yeah. And in the park, Tess is actually being pretty supportive mm-hmm. of Max. You know, she asks him, do you want to talk about it? He says no. She's like, do you want me to leave? You know, kind of just, like, giving him the option to have some space and whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he says, no, he doesn't want her to leave. But um, but I thought Tess was being sweet here. Yeah. And then now this is where we're going to get this beautiful song we were talking about a little earlier by Sheryl mm-hmm. Crow, where the lyrics are just so poignant to the situation that's going on. Liz wants her wedding dance with Max because she thinks and knows now that she's never going to have it. Mm-hmm. And some of the first lyrics of the song, too just really hit home I feel like for this moment it says even if it's a lie say it will be all right like as they start dancing Mm. together she's like I know this is not Mm -hmm. really my future what's gonna happen but can we just pretend for a minute and have this dance I feel like that echoes some of the lines that were said Mm -hmm. earlier in the scene future Max said I fought a thousand battles but watching you do that is the hardest thing I've had to do Mm. and present Liz is saying you're the love of my life everyone else is going to be second best there'll never be another you yeah just so sad and it kind of goes back and forth between liz's terrace and the park Mm -hmm. so you can kind of see that like as max and tess are sitting there that like they are bonding and they're getting closer together and that's what leads to the moment where they're dancing and liz spins around and future max is gone and the on the park bench with current Max and Tess, as they're starting to bond, the lyrics of the song are open the door, show me your face tonight, as he's letting her mm-hmm. into his life. And then yeah. the moment that Liz is like she goes into the spin for the dance, and then that's when future Max finally disappears. Like the lyrics in the song are never again. Mm. It's just like it's just such a great song. I'm so glad that they fought to have that song in the DVDs because the lyrics really are just so perfect. Like a lot of times I'm not really bothered by the changes in the songs. Like I think the new ones are fine. They're great. But this one, if it had been anything else, it would not be the same. Yeah, they couldn't have done it. Did you know this song? Did either of you know this song ahead of time? I probably did. At You know, I, I mean, I'm not. a child of the 90s. Like, I'm sure I knew this song, but but it wasn't one I was super familiar with. Like, I definitely listened to Sheryl Crow yeah. back in the day, so I'm sure I knew this song, but... I was definitely a Sheryl Crow fan, but I think this was the first time hearing this song for me. 
and it was the first time hearing a lot of songs played mm-hmm. on Roswell, mm-hmm. and the songs on Roswell are so great, and they hold such great memories for me that to this day, every time I hear one, I'm like, that song was yep. played on Roswell. Yeah. And my friends who don't watch Roswell are like, yeah. okay, Christy. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of songs from, I mean, from Roswell, but also from other TV shows of my youth that just still carry such strong memories for me because that is such an intense yeah. time of our lives. Like, you know, like we were saying earlier, like everything is life or death at that age. Like these characters were my friends at that age. Like they were, you know, as important as real people to me. And like, so the songs still carry such heavy meaning for me. Well, I think we did it. Max disappears. I love this episode, but I'm kind of glad that we got through it because it's so heart wrenching. (laughs) Can I just mention something? Um, I don't know if you guys know about, like, the Roswell books that are different from the Roswell High the, books. The tie-ins or the original books? Which ones do you mean? The tie-in books yeah. to the actual series of what happened yeah. on the actual show. I know of them, but I haven't read them yet. Yeah, so I'm reading through them now as part of the book series I'm doing on Sunday nights with fans. And my friend Jess said, in quarantine and a new beginning, Liz shares about Future Max in those books. Cool. Something some fans and uh, listeners of yours might want to know about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. I had no idea about the tie-in books until this year. And then then we found out these books weren't really advertised that that highly. Mm -hmm. I found like kind of a general ad in the back of one of my Dawson's Creek books that advertised like Charm, Angel, and Buffy because they also had book series at that time. I had tons of the Buffy tie-in books when I was in high school. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if I had a Roswell one or two, but I don't remember specifically like they... But yeah, I feel like that was very popular in that era to have these like tie-ins with the teen TV series. Maybe it still is, and I just don't know because I'm not watching Mm -hmm. teen TV series anymore. But (laughs) I certainly am. It's like all I watch. (laughs) Now let's see who's hot and saucy. Uh, My hot and saucy pick for this episode is Alex when he's standing up for Maria. I know it's a platonic moment, but I like him standing up for her friendship. It's more saucy than... yeah. Yeah, that's my moment. But it's hot to stand up for your friends. Yeah. Um, Okay, I honestly had a hard time picking, but I think my pick is when Kyle says, when they're like, you know, throwing innuendos back and forth. And then Kyle is like, I'll keep my equipment on the ready. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> because just like, I just love it. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's an innuendo, but it's also just like very funny. Like it's not hot, but it is supposed to be. But it's hot. So that's my pick. My hottest or sauciest moment of this episode Probably pretty obvious, but of course, Jason Bear Aka Max Evans doing his push ups mm. before Liz knocks on the door, and we get to see him in his full glory. <laughs> and she asks him to put a shirt on because it's so distracting. <laughs> Cannot talk to him without. We can't possibly shirt. focus. So hot. <laughs> so saucy. Lisa wasn't with us on this episode, but we still wanted to throw in some Lisa's predictions. So Lisa is going to tell us a little bit about what she thinks is going to happen in the next episode of Roswell. Take it away, Lisa. 
Hello, this is Lisa here to bring you Lisa's predictions. But first, I want to jump in with a hot and saucy pick of my own because I cannot let this episode go by without calling out the wonderful, the talented, the Tony nominated Winnie Holtzman, who shows up here to play Madame Vivienne, fortune teller extraordinaire. So, Winnie Holtzman was nominated for Tony for rating the book for the musical Wicked, but she also is the creator of the show My So Called Life one of the greatest shows ever in the history of television Uh, and she worked on that with Jason Katims who was a writer on that show so I'm sure that that is how this connection came about. I am giving her my hot and saucy mostly because I just want to talk about Winnie Holtzman but she does have a great line where she heavily implies to Liz that when she and Max are together Liz will be satisfied with their relations. So... Thanks to Winnie Holtzman for always keeping it hot and saucy. And now for my predictions. I would love to see a new future Max come back and be like, hang on, I have thought this through and with the wisdom of experience have realized that really all I needed to do was go to, let's say, Isabel, my trusted sister, and tell her, hey, you know what? I'm going to be with Liz because we love each other and make each other happy, but it's really important that Tess be a part of this friend group. So whatever happens, let's all make Tess feel included and then go to Michael and have the same conversation and then go to Tess and say, hey, you know what? I know this is really weird, but I'm going to be straight with you and tell you exactly what's going on. Please stay with the group. We'll do our best, but you know, we need you or else the world is going to end. And this, of course, will enable Liz and Max to be together. It will enable Tess and Kyle to get their lamp trimming on and everyone will just generally end up being happier and we won't have to go through another I'm guessing several episodes of the Liz and Max back and forth before they eventually do get together so that's what I would like to see but not my actual prediction because I don't think that's where this show is going So I will leave you with that, and we will join together next time for our discussion of Harvest, the second episode of this season to share a name with an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So hey, maybe vampires will show up. That would be fun. Thanks for listening to this episode, and a special thanks to Christy for joining us today. Christy is from Instagram at Roswell Virtual Party, and you can find her on Twitter at Liaison Radio. We'll be back in two weeks on Tuesday, November 10th with Season 2, Episode 6, Harvest. You can follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Roswell Hot Sauce and on Facebook. As always, you can find show notes and more information at roswellhotsauce.com, and you can email us at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com. Pass the Hot Sauce is produced and edited by Ashley Hullett. Our theme music is by David Belcourt, and our logo was designed by Billy Murray. Until next time. Can I have my bearings? Please, mine. I've so landed him for once or for all. I think.